This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. For this episode of the Craft Beer Brewing Podcast, I'm back in Brooklyn, New York, and sitting across from me here at Wild East Brewing is Brett Taylor. Brett, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who read the Brewing Industry Guide, we did a case study on Wild East uh, back in 2020. That was one of those where we were trying to find an example of breweries that opened up during the pandemic so that uh, you know other breweries could learn from them. And, uh, and you all did. It was a crazy time to try to open a brewery in 2020. Um, yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you could read the story for Brett's very frank commentary. I on bared that. my soul. Yes. Um, you know, but in the ensuing years, uh, you know, even as I was popping around earlier this week here in New York City, uh, a number of brewers were, you know, consistently told us, beer writers, other other friends uh, consistently told us that their favorite brewery in New York is Wild East. And so in a, in a very short order, you've become a brewer's hub and a brewer's favorite here in, uh, in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Uh, or is this Park Slope? Is this a different neighborhood? Uh, it's the nexus of Park Slope uh, and, you know, Carroll Gardens, but it's technically Gowanus. It's technically just Gowanus. Technically okay. Gowanus cool, neighborhood, cool. yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about some wonky stuff because uh, Brad is a fan of step mashing decoction and, uh, you know, lagering techniques. Um, it makes some beautiful nuanced lagers that are definitely at the top of the list for, uh, you know, for a lot of folks out here. Um, the Hellas we're drinking right now has a beautiful malt character and uh, it's, I love it because it's not, it's crispy, but it's not a crispy boy, you know? No. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, some nice malt character in this house, as it should be. Um, and so you're capturing some real, you know, kind of spirit and uh, joie de vivre in the lager space. We'll talk about how you do all of that. And uh, then, of course, uh, Belgian beers and Belgian style beers are another big focus for you all. Yeah. We're going to get into some of that, too. But first, for nearly 30 years, G&D Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. G&D stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. G&D also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, what if you could take your favorite recipes and make a non-alcoholic version without sacrificing the flavor, color, or beer quality? N.A. No problem. The Alchemator from ProBrew uses proprietary membrane technology to strip the alcohol from the beer without sacrificing all the elements like flavor and color that make beer great. Are you ready to brew like a pro? Check out www.probrew.com to learn more about the Alchemator from ProBrew or shoot them an email at contactus at probrew.com today. ProBrew is a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promoc brand. All right, Brett, Brett, give me the story. What's the story of uh, your personal beer journey? Um, you know, from passion to uh, uh, profession. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to use that again. From yeah. passion to profession passion. here uh, you know, in the beer world. Yeah. Uh, so I, the first time I ever tasted a beer was probably a Coors Light or a Schlitz or something like that in, in as a 10-year-old in the 80s. Um, and it was the most disgusting thing I could ever imagine. So I never really tried one again through high school. I never really like... When the kids were in the out in the field drinking Miller Genuine Draft and whatever, I never never touched it. Didn't care. And then I went to college, and uh, and I was straight edge in high school. Yeah, well, straight, yeah. straight edge is one way to call it. <laughs> yeah. One way to name it. Yeah. Whether by choice or not. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and then I went to college, and uh, J.W. Dundee's Honey Brown was all the rage on on college campuses in 1993, and so, or at least in West in Western Pennsylvania. So I had I had this beer, and I was like, oh, you know, it was like there was like flavor to it, and yeah, yeah, you still had to like learn your way through bitterness, um, but it was a it was a it was a nice it was a nice beer. It had a sweetness to it. There was uh, it had. Um, it was a, it was a great sort of uh, first beer, and then I went home uh, after the semester. I was like, "Mom, this JW Dundee's Honey Brown stuff's really good. Will you get me some?" I was eighteen, you know, and um, and so, uh, yeah, she bought me a six pack, and I would drink that at home, you know, over the Christmas holiday. And, you had and cool uh, parents. Yeah, you know, my mom was my family was always very. Uh, very liberal about yeah. um about yeah. alcohol um it was always a big part of like um of, of our of our family get-togethers <laughs> they're very beery um they still are um but i so i feel i feel like i'm like one of the oldest people i'm the oldest person i know who like didn't start on macro beer in fact i i i was probably in my 30s before i drank a budweiser um and um like I know. I specifically. No, remember. I'm with you on that. Like I, I, I know I've told this story many times on the podcast, but you know it was it was college. I turned 21 in 1995, and it was just straight into craft beer from there. It wasn't called craft beer then, but yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was micro, I mean, it was, it was microbrew. It was an indie um, snob, yeah. in on the music world, and like yeah. I, I was certainly not going to go drink all this mainstream stuff. Right? Yeah. So it was J.W. Dundee, Honey Brown, and then that led me into like into like. Well, you know, like Sam Adams and then and then that that holiday variety pack that you could get in like 1995 with the like the like like not even close to being an accurate depiction of Lambic. But they had the cranberry Lambic and then they had like the spice this and that and all the various um, all the various things. And it was just a lot of fun. And then um, and then and then I got into imported beer and started drinking European beer like right around 95, 96. Never occurred to me to, that I actually had any. um that I would ever do something like this. I didn't start homebrewing until, until in the aughts. Um, and then I just caught the bug and I went, you know, I spent a thousand dollars in one day on equipment. Uh, and I, and, and then, and then it was brewing like first was once a month, excuse me. Then it got eventually got to like once a week. <laughs> and and uh, when you're making sour beer, uh, you can just keep making it. And just put it in a corner, and then see you next year. Um, so then, at that point, I was up to about 150 uh, homebrew batches or so, and and I was like, and then I got a I got an internship uh, at Six Point in 2011, and um, just did like cleaning and grunt work and that sort of thing. Uh, and then and then that was over, and I went back to my like I was I had a career in journalism, and uh, and then. Uh, I, more and more home brewing, but I had this idea. I wanted, I wanted to make a brewery, and um, and and then uh, my my wife wasn't my wife yet, but uh, at the time she was like, you know, I saw the opportunity to go to uh, American Brewers Guild. She was like, yeah, you got to do it, and so I did that. And then um, out of there, I I uh, I started getting some some job offers around town here, but some of them were just um, illegally low wages, uh, so I didn't take those jobs. And then I took, I finally got an offer for fifteen dollars an hour, so. Uh, at Kagan Lantern. So I, that was my first full-time job. I was doing a little bit of, um, part-time work previous to that at strong down at strong rope. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, Kagan Lantern was my first full-time job. And then I bounced from there to, um, to fifth hammer, uh, who are really good friends of mine. And, um, 
I, uh, they are personal friends. So they were like, it was, I was brewing beer every day and some, and doing one day of work on it, uh, one day a week on the, on the delivery van. But, um, we, I was kind of an internship on how to open a brewery. Like sure. because they're friends, they gave me all their numbers. They gave me all their advice. They, yeah. And contacts, whatever I needed. And, and really, you know, them and KCBC, um, fifth hammers up in long island city which yeah. strangely enough is literally a half block from the apartment that i lived in with my wife and then my kids eventually because we had kids while we were up here for you know eight years uh, down in long island city of course there was it nothing means, there was no yeah, there were no breweries nothing, back yeah. then yeah um there are now there's a whole yeah. bunch of them yeah and of course fifth hammer right there anyway. yeah so fifth hammer kcbc like they are friends of mine in the industry here who who and there's you know others like threes was was hugely helpful and and, and i could probably i could probably have a dozen others um who just gave me a lot of great advice about how to do this and um and uh you know i I found my business partners and we we got this show on the road just in time to open up into uh into the worst global health crisis in a century, <laughs> which you can read about in uh, yeah, yeah, exactly read all about it. The brewing industry guide case yeah. study back from 2020. 2020. Yes. Just <laughs> strange. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you, so you decided to start wild East. You've of course done the rounds and brewed for other brewers here. You know, New York is such a big place that it is possible to build. I mean, there's just, yeah, it's, like the streams don't cross that much between something like Fifth Hammer, you know, in Long Island City, and here. Right. I mean, it's going to be an hour to get here. You yeah, know, yeah, but, yeah. You know, between the two of these places, like people don't just like, oh, you know, I'm going to go up there. Like, yeah, it's much more neighborhood focused like it that. Is. So, it is. so how did you decide then? You know, understanding that, but down in this area, you know, there's everyone from other half that's you know walking distance here. You know, threes, Finbacks now got. A, I mean, it's a it's a nice little uh, you know focused area of yeah. breweries down in this area. So, how did you decide? Uh, you know, with your partner what you all were going to brew, what the focus was going to be, and how you all were going to, you know, stand out and add something to the the fabric of the, the brewing world here in New York City. Yeah, I mean, uh, that to me, that was always the thing you needed to do. I saw where this industry was headed. There's 9,000 some odd breweries now. And and at the time when we were doing this thing, there, was, there were 7,000 some odd breweries, maybe pushing eight. Um, I've always felt that you, that we are going to get, there's plenty of room for for good brands, good ideas, good beer, um, be, you know, maybe the bars take it on the chin a little bit um, as a result because we become uh, effectively bars. But I think that the idea of, hey, I'm going to open a brewery because I like beer and, and it's going to be fun and we can make, we make, you know, quote unquote, good beer. I think those days have been over for longer than people realize. So we, I've, always felt that you need to have a, a viewpoint and um and for us like it was based around my my history of, of uh making mixed fermentation beer as a home brewer and then and then working on that to a degree and in my professional career as well so that was the heart of what we were going to do and then the idea was we'll have some house loggers and then we'll have like a good um we'll have a good uh backbone of like of of hoppy beer ipa and uh paleo um didn't quite work out that way because of the timing of when we launched and how um just you know we we launched into a pandemic we didn't have a tap room yet and we didn't have distribution so we were selling beer basically in crowler to start in crowlers via word of mouth um and then eventually we got some we got some bottle conditioned beer um and then we started canning um but like the keg 
the keg sales had basically dried up. It went from like, we wanted a hundred percent, uh, distro to hundred percent to go basically overnight, literally that when the lockdown happened. So, um, we had to pivot a little bit and I had to make beer cause we had to sell beer. But if I were to make a 30 barrel batch of, of, uh, New England IPA, I would have sold, I would have, it would have been a combination of selling a lot of old cases three months from now and dumping a shit ton of beer. So we, um, we, you know, we had, we, we had started our lager, lager program. It had already started off bigger than we had expected it to. And then I just sort of like went down the rabbit hole because I could make, uh, I could make a pull of tamave or tamave beer that would, we could can it three different times and just let it sit in, in the bright tank for months and months and it was only going to get better. So we, we actually just, we would do like hundred case runs, sell through that, do it again. Um, and the last bit of that just got extra lagering time in exactly, the tank. Exactly. That's an amazing way to think about the, the rise of log. Cause I, I, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like it's strange. I think the, pan, the pandemic effect has been one that American brewers had more time in tank space yeah. for a while yeah. to, you know, to put in things that, uh, you know, may not have been, you know, immediate turns in the past mm -hmm. and that opportunity. They also maybe had some time to do a little bit more work and a little more R and D, you know, on some things. Uh, but I hadn't even thought about the fact that you could just, I mean, you just let lager a little bit more and then pull some more off and you've got a new batch of the same thing you've already brewed. Exactly. And, and, um, I mean, it worked out well. We, I mean, we had, we would have had a little bit more time if we'd have done a, a West coast IPA. And I remember there was a time when we were like, should we do a West coast IPA? I don't know. Now it's like, sells better than our new england ipas do like, really yes. really yeah 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 um there's definitely a lot of people who want clear bitter beer so um uh you know with the, the piney dank sure thing so um uh we could have we would could have gotten uh, maybe a little bit more space there but in 2020 i don't know that the that the new england or the west coast ipa uh was quite gonna play um it feels like more of a 2021 thing and that's where we really build it up over that time. Um, so interesting. Yeah. But interesting. no, we, we made so much lager during the, uh, during lockdown, during those, the, the, the dark bitter months of, uh, of the, um, the worst of the pandemic. And we also filled a lot of barrels. We just needed, you know, beer that could store. Right. Um, so interesting. So it kind of became a, a, a product of necessity. I mean, obviously something that you're passionate about making anyway, yeah. but, you know, because you're a brewer and every, every, all brewers love to drink lager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I shouldn't say all, but 98% yeah. yeah, of yeah, brewers love yeah. to drink lager. Anyway, I want to talk about then, you know, how you built a lager program for the mm -hmm. brewery. And then of course, after, you know, we'll talk about some of the mixed fermentation stuff, which sure. is also this passionate core of what you do. Yeah. Before we do that, is that your brewery struggling to source or afford berry ingredients, historic heat waves, Devastated U.S. berry crops causing supply to dwindle and prices to skyrocket. That's why brewers are switching over to Old Orchard's craft concentrate blends, which mimic straight concentrates, but at a better price point and with more reliable supply. Is it any surprise that Old Orchard's best sellers are raspberry and blackberry flavors? Reclaim your margins and order your craft concentrates at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, packaging beer can be a daunting task, but buying cans shouldn't be. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices and order quantities catered to craft. Think single truckloads and half-height pallets rather than million can minimums for a smooth packaging experience. Also consider their ultra-compact single-operator canning machines. Pricing begins at $25,000 with a quick six- to eight-week lead time 
On most equipment, American Canning exists to help share your craft and cans. Learn more about their ecosystem solutions at AmericanCanning.com. So the world of loggers is a big, wide one, um, but you certainly have a point of view within that world of loggers. Where'd you set out and, uh, and how have you then continued to develop this wild east focus on loggers and what your take on logger brewing is going to be? Yeah, and uh, that's a good question because that has also been a pivot. Um, our first logger was a uh, German-style Pilsner. Who'd have thought it? Um, and then we made um, we made a um, what is effectively, though we didn't call it at the time, but it's where it would fit into our, our program now, um, a, um, a, uh, basically a, a, la- a land beer, Schwartz beer. Like, mm-hmm. a, um, it's, it was near hundred percent New York ingredients except for the cinema and, um, a land beer, Schwartz beer. Yeah. A Schwartz land beer, Schwartzland. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, so it was, yeah, it was hundred percent New York ingredients, save the, um, the, the cinema. And, um, it was, a it was a, yeah, it was a, a gentle little dark lager. Um, that was the second one. And then, um, and then we got into making, we made our, we made patience and fortitude, our, our check, um, our, our flagship, uh, check Pilsner, um, 12 Plato Pilsner. And then, um, we made, um, a collaboration with banded brewing in, in, um, uh, outside of Portland and Maine. Um, was a was Moon Atlas our our Czech Amber Lager, so we had sort of started with those things, and then um, then we sort of we kind of started leaning more into um, into the uh, we you know started making a few more of the Czech beers. But we, then we got into a Hellas, and we we sort of kept um, for a while. I was keeping two strains going, and it was ridiculous. Um, then we got into the Italian Pilsner, which became very popular very quickly, and. Um, you know, now that now that we're growing and in this sort of um, I don't want to say post, but uh, where whatever we call it now in, in the in the the grand scheme of COVID, the, the um, COVID long tail, co- yeah, yeah, wherever wherever it is now, we have not seen tap rooms come back quite the way they were before uh, before all of this. So we've had to do a little bit of another pivot, and that's we've taken on a lot of distribution um, and distributors want consistency so um part of that um we've had to streamline things a little bit and um we've always had a preference for our 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 check style um uh logger program and and we've really just kind of um gone gone all in on that um so we uh you know new york city water the um from the uh Ashokan Reservoir, Croton Reservoir, wherever we're getting it from these days, I think I think we mostly get it from from Ashokan, is um almost identical to pills and water, um in terms of like the mineral con- the mineral content. It's a very um it's a very soft, very like almost nothing there. Right. Water, um surface water. It's beautiful water. Um it's great. I mean, we can use it. We got salt, so you can make anything you want. But um, uh, it's it it just it's. It's a natural for those styles of beer, so we've kind of gone that direction, and um, we we um, a lot of you know a lot of breweries when they make lagers they do German style lagers, and so for us to sort of like kind of try to own the Czech styles, um, it it um a lot of the n- none of the a lot of the other breweries in this part of the world are doing a lot of like step mashing and decoction anyway. And I'm a pretty firm believer that you can't 
uh, this is going to be a controversial statement, but you can't really make a proper Czech-style Pilsner or Czech-style lager without decoction. Um, sorry, sorry if those are fighting words. I'm sure, and I get, and I guarantee you that there are great ones out there, great single decoction or single uh, single infusion beers out there. I've I've had them; they're great. But um, but like that's just that's my exceptions that prove the rule, right? Exactly, exactly. But I ha- I um, that's just that's my. That's my take, and I'm sticking to it. Um, well, let's go through your process. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you, on your say, your patience of fortitude, your you know, twelve degree check uh, check style pilsner. Yeah. Um, how do you? How do you? What's the design of that beer look like? Starting with the kind of the mash regimen. Yeah. So or it's, not mash the the grist and yeah. then. Uh, so um, it's Raven malt. Um, Raven malt. Raven malt. Yep. So Moravian malt you get through hops and stuff. Um, a lot of other. Um, Why that malt? Um, it's, it's, it's this beautiful Moravian malt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little more rustic than you get with like a floor malted, um, Weirman Bohemian Pilsner. Um, it's, when you say rustic, what does that translate to in terms of like sensory? It's got, it has, it just tastes a little less, um, perfect. And I think that's what I love about it. I think it, it wants to lager a little bit longer, um, but it has this like beautiful crackery kind of character to it that um, it just it it sings to me, and um, and I think it's really it wants a it wants a longer protein rest and and um, and it 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 uh, it really behaves nicely with with the mash with the mash regimen we use, which is um, you know a protein rest then um, then a um, like a really thick protein rest, and then we. Uh, we had, we had some water to bring it up to, uh, to, um, like around 144, 145, um, pull a decoction off of that, um, boil that, send it back to raise it to like the 158, 160 range. Then we pull another decoction, um, to take it to mash out. Um, it's made for that, that kind of work. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, I feel like if you're going to have a great, uh, um, because it's a stressful process. It's a then. stress. Yeah, yeah, it's time. In, it's time intensive. Um, but like I, the flavor wise, I think you can get. I think you can make. And I know. I know breweries who who make really good single infusion beer with that with that malt. Um, but it it responds really well to that process. Um, it's made for that process. Um, I I think that like, yeah. I mean. Um, Anyway, that's yeah. Uh, I'm not sure where else to go there. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so you know, from from malt, that's just you know, 100 percent uh, Raven malt. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and you just you know, we're talking about the decoction process with that. Are there any peculiarities to the way that you uh, you know decoct through that in terms of uh, you know a time or, or other things? So I'm a I have a two vessel system that has a little bit of extra process piping for moving um, for moving. Uh, things around so i come um i'm i have a 30 barrel um abe system i i have a um a two inch pipe above the um the false bottom that i draw the the decoction off with um it comes into the kettle and i i um i uh keep keep the whirlpool running um for the duration uh of that um just so that it's moving um i want the mired reactions you get and and the and um the you know whatever a little bit of caramelization but i don't want it, it to necessarily just sit there um 
it, it yeah, heats, heats it up faster too. So that, yeah, then it, then I just send it back. There's a, flow, there's a flow meter on that. So I know exactly how much I'm bringing in. Um, and then yeah, it goes back and then wash, rinse, repeat. Cool, Sorry. cool. And you don't adjust the water at all because you just have perfect water that comes in here. I I do. I add a little bit of um a little bit of chloride okay. um just to get um just to get some uh some calcium some from fifty ppm calcium. Sure, sure. That's, um, I didn't know. used to, but it's, that's a that's a new thing. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. And then uh, you know as you move into you know a hot side boil um you know what's what's that process look like for the spear and i guess you say you know we should also talk about hops and that kind of capacity because sure, sure. yeah yeah so it's it's um it's all citra in the whirlpool sorry <laughs> um it's uh cool the whirlpool first, oh yeah one, 160 bud yeah yeah um no it's um uh it's crosby saws uh crosby saws all all day mm. long um in the uh why Crosby Oregon grown sods? It's not Oregon grown oh, sods. Oregon. No, okay. no, no. It's they. Um, they. It's theirs. They. Yeah. They bring. They bring it in from okay. Czech farms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I love it. They. Um, they do. Um, a nice job of selecting hops for you. Uh, they. I think because they've got their respect and they've got good buying power with the farms that they work with. Um, you know, I know that I know that's the same hops are coming from the same farmers or kale. Um, uh, I don't know if that matters because they're different lots, but you know, it's, it's, it, at least, you know, that somebody can grow the hops that the, the first brewery, uh, in the world who gets to choose the hops, <laughs> probably, I don't know. I'm I, making that up. If I'm really thinking about it, I'm pretty sure that they use that story for every hop grower, uh, you know, in that area, because if you're Pilsner or Kel, you're buying a lot of hops. You're buying a lot of hops. And their hop farms are generally not very large. Yeah, and exactly, so uh, exactly. I imagine that Urkel buys, you know, hops from yeah, pretty much right. every <laughs> single farm. That's right, yeah. And so just by default, every single one of them also That's sells right. hops to, to Urkel, <laughs> which is great because they can still tell you that it's the That's same right. story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and meanwhile, some of them, Urkel's probably like, I would never use that after like a 60-minute edition. <laughs> <laughs> um, that stuff tastes like, it's great for bittering, but it tastes like, like, grass clippings <laughs> but um, hey, it's great great romantic story yeah yeah, yeah totally yeah. totally no you're i'm, I'm so sure you, so sure you use yeah sots. even um, though this, now this crop year is gonna be you know really a terrible yeah. horrible horrible thing for yeah saws uh, I'm, I'm a i'm a tiny brewery and, and i have a contract that will that should keep us that should cover us yep, yep. um i i might get um i might supplement with a little bit more from a different from a different um grower um but yeah, I I'm probably good with what I have. Um, yeah. Unless I have to go to. So at the moment we make, um, we have like a our production turn is we we brew one ale and one lager a week. Um, and the um, the it's like um, patience and fortitude are um, then our um, our Italian pilsner La Ultima Moda, and then something else, and it's just that um, over and over and over. Um, so if I get to the point where it has to be like patience moda, patience something, patience moda, if it gets to be like every other turn, then I'm going to be in a little bit of trouble. Um, but I think we're, we're pretty good for, pretty good for right now. Um, so yeah, it's that, uh, um, first word, then little, some, some, some 40, some 30 minute edition, some like late, later in the boil edition. And then, uh, um, knock it out in lots of yeast at, to 52 degrees i was doing less Lots yeast. of what yeast oh i use the i use the urkel strain yeah um 
I was originally doing 48 degrees and uh, a little bit less yeast. And now I've, mm-hmm. I've increased the, the size of the pitch and uh, this, the temperature. Um, I increased the size of the, the, uh, the size of the pitch because I increased the temperature. I wanted them to, to not work, work very hard, but I wanted them to work a little bit faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, and the baseline is, it's, I'm usually good. I mean, it's, it's, uh, splendid at like usually around day five. Um, we harvest yeast at day seven. Um, and, and it, and it crashes somewhere in there. Uh, once it, once it passes VDK, I think it's probably good. I mean, we're going to be, we're literally doing a VDK test at this moment. Um, we'll see. Uh, I think it's probably we ready to crash and then it'll, and then it'll just like, um, cold condition in primary for, um, for a week and then it'll transfer to bright next week. Um, we use brights for lagering cause I didn't build a lager brewery. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. I built a, you built a wild brewery. I built a brewery that could do a lot of things and I've had to add two bright tanks since then. Um, one of these days we'll get around to some uh, some horizontal lagering tanks and, and it'll be lovely, but uh, we're, we have to... Will it be lovely or will it just be a whole new just, world of heart to clean and, uh, uh, and Yeah, else? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's lovely. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I, if I didn't, if I didn't enjoy some pain, I guess I probably would have gone into something that made actual money. So, <laughs> right, um, right. Well, let's talk. I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, how would you define like some of those, those points of you know, kind of excellence through the process. Like what are some of those pieces that, you know, as you look at the entire brewing process for this beer that you think set apart the way that you do it and, and what you really pay attention to, maybe some of the smaller things that may get overlooked sometimes, you know, in the rush of, uh, you know, brewing and fermenting um, that you think make some outsized positive impacts on the beer itself. Um, little things, honestly, like, doing that transfer really, really slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you, um, you know, avoiding any breakout in the, and you know, you, we've, we've spunded this beer. We've got this like beautiful natural carbonation, um, making sure that when you, you know, you transfer it, like once, once it's found, you know, using an umbilical and, uh, once you've, once you have the, um, the, the equilibrium between the two and you have to start pushing with CO2 doing it very gently. So you're not breaking out. Um, because like, I know we get people, people rave about our head retention and, uh, and you know, it's literally just, it's literally just Pilsner malt and, and, uh, and a complicated mash regime. Um, I do use some, some, uh, carafoam in like some of the beers, especially like single, single decocted beers. Um, but, that's just me keeping training wheels on that I don't necessarily know that I need. Um, I'll play around one of these days and leave it out. Uh, probably out of necessity when I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to order the <laughs> Carafoam. Um, and then we'll never look back. Right. Uh, hopefully that's how it works. Um, sure. Are there, so slow transfers and just, you know, ex- yeah, exceeding hitting, care? Hitting the numbers, you know, like, like um you know, we have a, we have a mash regime, just hitting those numbers, making sure we get those, those pHs right. Like, you know, I want to, I want to, um, a nice, like a lower boil pH to get my, 
so that I can get or like post boil pH so so that it flocks nicely in the in the kettle. Um, so you know, so that we can we can run off like nice clear wort to start. Um, uh, you know, it's all everything is always there's I'm always tweaking. I don't I haven't written an SOP for any of these beers because I've I've never done everything exactly the same twice probably maybe but um, I'm always I'm always fiddling like what if I lengthen out the you know the beta rest for an extra like 20 minutes what will happen and then and then you see like what happened you get better fermentation you yeah. get you get a more you get a more uh, you know, like a higher uh, attenuation <laughs> so what, what is the attenuation goal on this what, what's the finishing gravity of uh, patients of fortitude because you still you know it's still has body and still has some like feel to it but obviously it's it's gotta yeah. be dry yeah yeah so it's usually um it's it's around 70 i'm not i'm not like one of those 12 plato beers that checks in at uh at um uh you know 4.2 percent um our beer is a little bit a little bit crisper than that um so typically patients is like uh 12 plato finishes around four like 4.8 ABV to me is like the sweet spot. So that I think that's somewhere around three, around three ish. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take. Um, yeah. Uh, I like it there. Um, I don't want them. It's always, you know, it's always a, sure. it, it's always a, a bit of a balancing act. Um, and I'm always trying. And now I also like, I have, I, the, the full volume of my fermenters is 37 in change. And I have one 37, barrel bright tank and i have two like that are like 30 like 32 would be would be too much so 30 we'll call it 31 so if i do a 37 barrel but i have to know what bright tank is going into because if i do a 37 barrel batch i'm going to throw away a fair amount of beer at the end um and i've happened i've i've had it's happened before where i've i've like had to um had to pivot and and use a different tank than I had originally intended, and I ended up with like I was all in before I even turned a racking arm. That's <laughs> brutal. Well, I want to talk. Let's talk about another logger then. Uh, yeah, but before we do that, uh, ABS Commercial is a full service brewery outfitter proud to offer brew houses, tanks, and small parts to brewers across the country. They stock equipment ranging from three barrels to 90 barrels and offer custom-designed equipment up to 900 barrels. Contact one of their brewery consultants today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your brewery project, ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Also, there's a special offer on the table from our friends at Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems. Simply mention this, the CBB podcast, when you contact Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems to get a special discount on a brand-new canning line. That offer is available through March of 2023. There, let's talk about another creative, you know, lager that you've uh, you've learned something through brewing in, in your process. Uh, yeah. Anything come to mind? Well, this Hellas we're drinking right now, uh, Ramble. Um, the it's this it's our second uh, it's our second Hellas. The first one was called we called Wither, and we were trying we we released it. Um, it I want to say for uh, July Fourth weekend. 2020 and it was sort of like we had just come come off of of making a kolsch called alfresco sorry kolsch style ale <laughs> called alfresco and um it was the idea was being like you know this was this was like this was that was our memorial day weekend release everybody's gonna be sitting outside and drinking so we called it alfresco um and then we switched and then we came we came around with wither we we're like we can take it wither you go that was the thing that was the thinking behind it <laughs> 
it was a white can because it was you know it was Hellas, uh, and everybody was like, they ordered the whiter, or they ordered the wheat beer. Like, okay, this is not working. <laughs> so, uh, so we came There's back. There's a branding we, lesson for you. Yeah, sure. exactly. So we, we kept the can color the same um, and we changed the name. But I was like, I'm not going to just change the name. We have to do something different. So I was like, how, how do I want to improve on this beer? Which I was pretty happy with it um, by and large. Um, I got a little bit more nuanced in the hopping. Um, uh, at the beginning, every, every lager I was making was, was like single malt, single hop. Um, well, this wasn't, I mean, the, 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 um, the Hellas has a little bit of, um, uh, uh, Munich malt in it as well as, um, uh, Fireman Pilsner malt. But the, I was like, what, what is the, like the heart of the Hellas? What am I trying to get here is like smoothness. I'm like, how do I make this beer smooth? Well, I doubled the cocktail. That's how I do it. And so that's, um, <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, that's where we went with this. That's why, you know, Decoction, we were talking. always the answer. It's always the answer. So we, when we were talking about, you know, we were talking about this before and you're saying like how, how smooth and malty it is. And like, yeah, I mean, it's, it literally like, I wanted to like really, really, really capture that. And, and, um, um, you know, you, you, you make, you do that on the recipe sheet, but you also do that in the mash tun. And, um, and, uh, it's been very popular um and um we uh there was a brewery here in the city called folks beer that made a very popular hell is called obl um uh, old bavarian lager um they did not s- survive the pandemic yeah um they were a pretty beloved brewery um so there was definitely there was definitely not an opening for uh like a new york city um a well-made uh new york city um hell is. so we um we were you know it's not not that we were thinking about that. We made we started making these beers before you know while they were still around. Um, you know, basically kicking our ass in the uh, out in the market uh, on Hellas. But like we, you know, it's it's we are sort of the we. This is the beer that's around a lot. Uh, maybe the most readily available. Uh, I'm not sure. I've only made it. I make it. I make it almost every other month or so. Not that often. Um, but um, yeah, it's just like one of those one of those things that. Um, if you wanna, if you wanna hell us in New York City, probably your odds are best to get it here. Sure, sure. So talk talk to me about what that structure looks like in this. How do you obviously del- double decoction is your answer to the smoothness, but yeah. uh, you know where's where's the malt uh, fit on that, and is there any different approach to water since this is you know, not a Czech style beer in in sense? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, I definitely go a little bit um, more um, uh, gypsum heavy on this one. Um, and, uh, uh, there's, um, you know, a little bit, it's a different approach with, with the hopping. Um, you know, uh, it's not a, like I call, I call patience and the, the, the template version of patience of fortitude is little patience. Um, both of them, I kind of, I call them like saws bombs. Um, and I, which I, you know, I love, I love, it's, it's, I love the hop. So it's great. Um, um, yeah, this is, this is just, uh, you know, a delicate sort of, uh, Vitamin, it's all vitamin, Pilsner malt, and uh, and um, like I said, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Munich, um, and uh, just just to help layer in a little bit of subtle flavor. But yeah, most of it's done in the in the it's done in the mash done, sure, well, and and the kettle, I guess. For the how's the the step mash vary for yeah? You know, does it, or does it vary at all? It doesn't vary very much. Malts? Not very much. No. Um, by and large, um, 
you know, I think with environment, I can go with a shorter, a shorter, uh, shorter rest times for, um, uh, like the, alpha, uh, beta and alpha rest, um, than I do with, with Raven, Raven being, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's well-modified malt, but for whatever reason, I feel like it wants a little bit more time. Um, whereas, uh, the environment stuff, I feel like it, it takes off pretty quickly, especially like yeah, straight ahead environment, Pilsner malt, like it, it, it responds quickly. I think it's more or less been made for, uh, for a single infusion. And your, you know, calculation is looking at the speed of fermentation and how, you know, and the quality, that attenuation yeah, curve yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, 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 basically. Um, and then you tweak from there. Um, sure. What, what, what's the hop uh, approach on this one? It is, um, it's a little bit of, um, it's middle fruit early, um, and then a little bit of middle fruit and tet, um, sort of mid late. Uh, and yeast, obviously this is going to be a different strain, isn't it? It's not. I, have, oh, I had to pick, I had to pick a, I had to pick a house, house strain. Um, so, you know, so there it, you are. Yeah. So it's, I use, I use Raquel for it, but, uh, um, I don't make my life easier by we, using we that strain. We won't tell anybody. Yeah. I just told everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I, you know, like in my, if I could, I would have, I would, I would essentially have a full, a full on like check in German lager programs, but, um, you know, it's a lager program right now that leans pretty heavily check. Um, but, uh, yeah, keeping, keeping a separate, a separate yeast does not, does not make a ton of sense for me. So, um, I, you know, I, I choose the one that's most, uh, appropriate for the, the flagship beers, um, which also is, um, it's not, uh, it's not the easiest yeast to use. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what challenges does it just throw at you in fermentation? You have to, I mean, it'll, what I love about it is that, um, I, I think a lot of times like having something to clean up is, is like a, is a good thing. I think there's some flavor development that happens and this is purely anecdotal. Um, but for me, I feel like, um, burning off some sulfur and, and, uh, and some diacetyl takes you to a better place when it's all said and done, but you got to do those things. And that's the, that's what the thing is with this yeast is like, if you don't de-rest it, you're like, you're in trouble. Um, cause I've, I've gotten into that trouble. Um, <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, you know, in, in, a, you know, in a non-climate controlled cellar, I mean, it's vaguely climate controlled in that, you know, where we're sitting in the barrel room, there's a, there's a, um, we did because we do, uh, private events and stuff back here. Uh, we do have a, uh, a little bit of, um, event and, uh, and I have the, um, the process of making beer helps the warm up the other side of the cellar where the, um, where the brew house is. But, uh, it take a few days sometimes in the dead of winter in New York city to like get a, get a good proper diacetyl rest. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any other details to this one? I mean, I'm, I'm still taken aback by just, you know, the, the smoothness, but also just the fullness, mm -hmm. the fullness of the mall character. It just feels so nice and round, you know, like plump even, uh, you know, and so while it has that kind of, crisp edge character i can't even using that word but like yeah, yeah it still yeah. has that kind of you know that lager expectation of a of cleanness but yeah. but with this you know beautiful fullness as well yeah yeah um it the reason we do as i you know i go through this whole um 
this whole uh, speech about how we like focus mostly on on Czech style beers, or that's that's the main focus of what we do. Um, we do keep this around because it, it fits a um, for a, a pale uh, a pale lager that's not heavily hopped. It fits into a place that I don't have uh, I don't have a Czech beer for. I just I think you need to have like a, a multi but like not heavy lager in in the in the lineup. This one is a little yeah, it's got a little bit more. It's a little bit um like more robust than maybe a, some um would be, but it drinks very easily and it's, you know, it's, it's ABV under 5, so, you know, um mm-hmm. we're still Still very much in in lawnmower land, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, and that hop character becomes this kind of very very soft floral, maybe small hints of lavender, but also just a little bit of that you know noble herbal spice mm. also too. Not strong, just nicely rounded over and smoothed over, and just kind of sanded down into a you know a, a nice smooth edge. Um, yeah, it's really really. Wonderful. Are there any other you know? A, a, Especially, you know, finishing challenges that uh, that this one poses to you, or uh, is it pretty standard? This is a very well behaved beer. Um, I, you know, the yeah. the the tw- the ten and, and twelve Plato beers take a little bit more. They they don't clear quite as uh, as nicely. But like, I don't I don't find any of these. I find things occasionally, um, but I don't. I typically most of the lagers I like, I I've always said we make like a quote unquote rustic lager, um, which is like, how do we even define that? But, uh, I think that's just, it's an ethos more than anything else. Um, and, and mostly just like using good ingredients and, and kind of staying out of the way. Sure. Let's, uh, let's shift gears now again and talk a little bit about bring West coast style IPA uh, on this, uh, largest city on the East coast. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me about your approach to that. I'm curious. I mean, we've certainly seen, I, you can't say that West coast IPA is back. It never left. It's always, it's been been a commercial powerhouse, you know, all through Mm. the rise of, of hazy juicy IPA. Um, you know, and, 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 bringing it back just means people are paying attention to the thing that's always been there again. But, um, you know, but in terms of that, like, you know, especially within on-premise stuff here, which is much larger in New York than is in a lot of places, just because there are a lot of drinking establishments, not as many breweries, people will go by through, you know, through, uh, you know, through bars and, um, you know, looking at their, and of course their interests may, they may not have been putting as many West coast IPAs on the tap board when you start seeing hazy and juicy IPAs moving that much more. Totally. Um, but they're that crowd that was interested in them never went away. How, how did you start, uh, you know, getting into that kind of approach um, and find out a way to, you know, make a West coast IPA. They also fit, uh, East coast drinkers and found some, uh, you know, some character of your own through that. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I'm a 47 year old former home brewer, so yeah. I've made a lot of West Coast IPA in my day. Um, I all I have a I have a uh, cabinet full of well, I might have gotten rid of them, but cabinet full of ribbons for making West Coast IPA as a home brewer. Um, so it just it's um you know it's a it's all it's the it's it's the original IPA for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's a uh, but IPA and even West Coast IPA has really undergone some changes. Oh, it has. Like I, in, in I, this, we're looking back at West Coast IPA now through the lens of hazy and juicy IPA yeah. with all of these other techniques now at our disposal. You know, the malt is getting bri- brighter and brighter and brighter. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then you know, but also brewers are just better at making beer now than they might have been 15 years ago. And totally. uh, you know, and so all taking all of those techniques, hops are, are and the way that we treat 
concrete and process and use hops and control oxygen. I mean, all of these things, they're so much better now than they were when I started drinking IPAs. Definitely. And so you can take all of those tools back to it now and right. re- take another deeper look. How What would that deeper look look like for you? Yeah, I mean, so our first couple of uh, West Coast style IPAs were were very much like, quote unquote, your dad beer, you know, like it yeah. was, it yeah. was, uh, it was base malt, a little bit of crystal, like a tiny bit, a little bit of crystal. Um, and then it was like sea hops. And then, um, I, one caveat here, um, is that I have only room for one house ale yeast and it has to be able to make, um, it has to be able to make good New England beer, West Coast beer, and um, English beer. And to me, there's only one strain that can do that, and that's Conan. Um, Conan in a West Coast IPA has to be started very cold, um, and you have to slowly ramp it up. Um, but you have to do, well, not slowly. You have to carefully uh, ramp it up um, to keep it going and not, and not um, stop working, but also not um, create too many esters. Um, if I had the space and the tank space and the wherewithal i would i would uh you know american you know use chico it whatever you want to whichever your preferred version of it is all day long but um it's not it's just not an option um i you know so yeast management so you're making west coast ipa the hard way then yes 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 <laughs> but yeah. um so here's um so yeah we made the first few batches we we made were like very like you know uh cascade centennial chinook uh, Columbus, Simcoe, a lot of that sort of thing. And then, um, you know, I get people from the West Coast would be coming to visit and they would be like, you're like, yeah, but we don't really make it like that anymore. Right, right. <laughs> like, like it's like, it's Pilsner malt and like mosaic. I'm like, okay, well, so that, I, I get you. I hear you. I haven't been to the West Coast. I haven't had it. I haven't been there uh, probably in, since like 2016, 17, somewhere thereabouts. And, um, I definitely, yeah, I definitely noticed like um, that they make a lot of IPA there that's like modern, and I get it. And so that's when I started thinking about like, okay, let's do uh, let's let's do modern takes on a West Coast IPA. Um, it'll be clear, it'll be bitter, but it'll have you know we might we might play around. And one that we did recently that was um, uh, that was pretty popular it was called Punk Lullaby, and that was uh, that was uh, um, Eureka hops um, from Hop Signer. And um, shout out to um, to Heather for uh, happening to pop in when I was uh, desperately seeking some uh, Simcoe, which I'd burned through my contract on. And she um, she suggested that Eureka might be a good replacement, so we we paired that with Mosaic, and uh, we made a very nice little beer. It was actually the the fastest selling beer we've ever made. I think we I think we sent out thir- thirty barrels in like four days. Um, for us, that's very, very fast. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, something like that, you know, it had, it had the, it had the, the bitterness and the dankness. Um, but it also had like some of that, like that modern, uh, like more than just, uh, grapefruit and orange zest right. kind right. of forward fruit character, um, that you get from mosaic. Um, that was fun. The one before that was, uh, um, I think our, probably our favorite, we've made so far mondo generator um straight up like that one even had a touch of crystal in it don't tell anybody um but it was um it was a citra citra simcoe and columbus um just like 
keeping it a little old school, but like having that citra in there and, and, and they all, those hops all play very well together. So, but I, you know what I, you know what I mean? I could have probably done the exact same thing by throwing a bag of each of those into the whirlpool at 170 degrees and then dry hop the shit out of it with all of the above and made a, a really, really lovely hazy beer with that too. So sure. um, I think this is where, I think this is where, um, maybe where we've, where we've gotten to with, um, IPA yeah. is that, is that, like it's really just how you how you dress it up. Like um, your yeast choice. Your well, do you put do you put any like oats in and or you know wheat in there, or are you just like you know base malt? Oh yeah, and pilsner malt. Apparently, apparently everybody uses pilsner oh, yeah. malt on the west coast now, sure, which is like of course. Uh, not me. I just use rar, but <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, I, I think it's I think it's funny how it's just sort of like. They're all coming around. It's just like the difference is, is like maybe a little bit more, a little bit more clarity and a little bit more, uh, a uh, little bit more hopping in the back I mean, end. It's kind of like saying that, you know, Pilsner and Saison are the same thing. And it's just, just right. the yeast. Just, I mean, just they're, yeast. they're so yeah, close in recipe, are. right? Exactly. You know, like it's just the yeast. Um, you know, and in, in this case, right. Yeah. You know, I think just be, there's a lot of commonality on those, yeah. but that's I think what makes it interesting yeah. that, uh, um, that they exist in a dialogue with each other. Totally. That there's this push and pull between them and, yeah. uh, you know, they don't, it's not, they don't exist in separate worlds. You yeah, know, they yeah, are, yeah. they are, uh, you know, uh, evolving, you know, in this evolutionary process in this kind of symbiotic way. Totally. You know, it makes it very cool. Well, you know, how else, you know, do you try to uh, appeal to modernity with your West Coast IPA? I mean, that's about it. Uh, yeah. You know, they just, they, they do well. There's, I, I think there's a lot of, I, we hear people all the time say like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of over a New England beer. You know, I'm just, I'm, I've had so much of right, it. That's all right. there is. And like, you know, for us too, um, we are. Um, what does bitterness look like in that beer? It's like 60 IBUs, yeah, you know, yeah. somewhere thereabouts. Um, uh, we get, we hear, you know, we're in a neighborhood that has some of the most renowned um, hazy IPA makers on the planet. And um, they're very good at what they do. Yes, and they I'm, are. I'm, not, I'm like, I mean, we make we make hazy IPA because we need to have it for our tap room. And I, when I make it, I'm trying to make the absolute best one in the world. But um, more than anything, we make it because the um, when people come here, um, I think the majority of people who drink who drink IPA, they're not looking for like a certain a certain beer by a certain brewery. They're going to a place to hang out and have fun with their friends, or they want to take something to a party with them. Um, they're gonna, it's the style of beer that they prefer to drink, and they're gonna sit and drink the same one all night. So, like, it's not my, I don't need to have five. Um, I can't have five because he just totally cannibalized. Whereas, like, if I have five Pilsners, um, they, they pe- people will go down the line. I mean, they, they might, sure, they, I'm sure they go down the line the same way they do at other places, but like, uh, with IPA, but. Um, it doesn't seem to like when we've had more than one here, it's just one always just gets like, it's always the older one too. So it is an interesting. And I've heard the same thing. Like they're like, well, we could put two of them on, but then each one is going to do half as much exactly. as the one that we have. And so, uh, you know, we choose where we want to go on that one. So Brett, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the wild beer side of, uh, the wild East beer program. Um, you know, clearly it's a homebrew passion for you that you've now translated out here into the commercial world. Uh, where, where did you approach it from? Uh, you know, and how did you intend to, again, uh, you know, make something that felt like you all in this, uh, bigger, broader, wild, sour, funky beer space? Yeah. I mean, um, it, uh, I had this grand idea that I was going to come into, um, come into this with these like 
homebrew cultures that I'd been repitching and repitching. And then uh, I sent them, sent them out to be, to be banked. And once I got them back, uh, I didn't, I didn't like them at all. And and that's not, that's not the fault of anybody, um, you know, the, the, the lab or anything. It was just, I think how it translated um, from, a small the speed know. of trying to grow them back and grow them back in an equivalent yeah, way. Yeah, I think that just, they just yeah. don't scale yeah. like that. Like even if I were to take, I have one of them still around here. That I, I, it, it made really nice. Like it was like a, it was a bunch of, uh, like it was like a bunch of pitches from East Coast East and the East Bay and some like, some like cool ship, Brooklyn cool ship. Yeah, uh, I used to have a in my old apartment. Um, I was up up the hill in Park Slope and I, I was close to the close to the park, close to the cemetery, and I had a persimmon tree in my backyard. It was like natural, you know. And um and I I did I did make some some cool ship type beer there. Um so I, I included what that. What is it about urban environments that makes for great cool ship beers? Not a clue. It's amazing how I mean obviously it works in Brussels and yeah. uh, this rom- this romantic notion of needing to be outdoors and in the wild with all these native yeasts on the fruit like Okay. Yeah. But uh, hey, works pretty well. Like I was just talking to Joe and Lauren Grimm, uh, you know, uh, earlier on the podcast, and they, you know, said like they're doing that, brewing spontaneously. We're in their spot in Brooklyn. Like mm-hmm. it works really well. It's yeah. weird. It's kind of cool. You have to change up their your process a little bit, and, and um, we've done a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, spontaneous um, beer inspired by their process as well. Um, but, um, you know, it, I had that grand idea that it was going to be, oh, it's going to be like this romantic, like, you know, bringing these these cultures with me. And it just it didn't it didn't translate. So um, we started off very, um, very carefully. Um, we built a Saison uh, pitch of based on uh, I kind of knew the, the, the things that I liked. Um, so I built a blend um, uh, with Al Buck at East Coast East and um and I basically have kept that. I've used that in every batch of of saison, uh, grisette, etc. Uh, the you know beer to guard um, that we've made. And um, I oftentimes will have to like pitch that, co-pitch it with a fresh pitch of of the of the Saccharomyces component, um, which is which is a, a blend of a, of a couple of Saccharomyces strains. Um, diastaticus strains and um and so it lives on through every beer um and then i have this 30 barrel fooder over here that so, I, so you do that because the acid producing portion of that culture can just tends to what, and the o- bread, yeah, overpower so, yeah so you want it to still be able to f- ferment out that faster and give them a little less to work on then? exactly you know it needs to taste like when it's young i want it to taste i want you to be able to taste the like the saison, clean saison, a clean saison kind of character. Um, I want it to be. It's not just like because if you do that, we're just gonna make sour beer, and that's a that's a different animal. Um, I like to make saison that is tart and has a has a uh, a forward uh, botanomyces character. Um, so the, the 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 blend is built for that. Um, and yeah, so oftentimes we'll need to be. Um, to have the sack, the sacks, uh, uh, portion of it re-upped. Um, occasionally I will, I will use that just the sack 
at the beginning, if I'm feeling I need to repitch it for something else, we do have a grisette that we um, it's called Fluent that we that we make. It's that's our our lone like sort of uh, clean quote unquote clean uh, farmhouse style of beer. Um, it a portion of that then will go to like we we can and and uh, keg that, but then a, a portion of that goes to a fooder to make Influent, um, and uh, then yeah, then that gets packaged. Um, we have a, a Saison Solera, um, over to our right over there, um, that we use for contour interval. Um, I used to be a map maker and, and the, the idea of the contour intervals, the, the, the lines on the, on the, on a, uh, relief map. Yeah. Um, there's an interval between those lines and that, 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 um, that's how you, uh, show, show elevation. So, um. It was just a fun play to to like talk about how like um, or to, it was like a metaphor for how often we package. Um, there's an interval, and that interval is when we you know sort of decide that this tastes good. Is what we want to do, um, and so yeah, it's like thirty. It's a thirty barrel fooder, uh, fifteen barrels out, fifteen barrels in is is the is the way it's going. We're on. Um, I have poured you some of number three here. Um, number two was, uh, was our first ever medal that we won, uh, for anything here. It was won the gold medal in the, uh, New York state, um, competition for, uh, wild beers. Um, so this is contour three, which is, uh, a little less tart than that one was. I upped the, uh, I, that was, that was the outside edge of where I wanted the acidity in this beer. So I, I upped the hopping rate on it a little bit. Um, I like that sort of like almost like like a, I like a minerality for sure in my saison but I also like there would be like this very subtle interplay between um the bitterness of a saison like from the bitterness from the hops but also the um the acidity those two things are not supposed to go well together and it's just like when you pair just little subtle like fight between the two with a little bit of minerality um and like a nice like Brett finish like like Brett finish like sort of like a little bit of the the like the the sulfur struck match kind of thing. It's just all like I that's like that's those are things I dream about at night. So sure, sure. Um, the things you dream about at night. Yeah, and the, and so yeah, th- that's what I have in mind whenever I whenever I made made this beer. So it's just it's a it's a hundred percent New York ingredients. My our farmhouse um like in sour beers are are all hundred they're all New York ingredients almost exclusively. Um, occasionally like we get a lot of fruit from New Jersey, but that's actually more local than most of New York is. Um, so, uh, but like, yeah, our, um, it, it's, uh, yeah, New York craft malt. Um, we use, we use their Pilsner malt and their, um, malted and unmalted wheat, um, to make this beer. And, and, uh, usually how much wheat is in, in here? Uh, it's about 30%. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's our yeah. quote unquote wheat saison. Uh, it's definitely fluffy and has that fluffy yeah. weedy saison character to it. What's uh, what's the acidity goal in this? Do you measure it in pH, I titratable acidity, or do you just do it by taste? I do do it by taste. Yeah. Um, I some people I'm a very tactile brewer. Um, it, it's uh how I decide how I want things to be is based on um, is based yeah based on how how it looks, feels, tastes, smells. Um, it's totally not scalable um but we're we're gonna do who needs to scale a sour saison (laughs) program right exactly well i mean we do (laughs) that's the thing we we actually have found a way to do it um 
we are, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're going to do 2,400 barrels this, this year, uh, produced and we're going to probably, we're going to probably about 42 next year. Um, so yeah, we're a, we're a very small brewery and, um, but no, what we found is that we have, um, this little fooder sitting right next to us over here. It's 15 barrel fooder. We did a table beer through there. Um, it's like a, it was like a 3.8% table beer that we were like, you know what, let's, um, Let's do uh, sixteen ounce four packs, can condition, mix firm beer, and um, and then and then do a bunch of kegs, and we realized that you can sell through a fifteen barrel fooder um, if you if uh, in 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 a solid three weeks um, if you if you don't try to devote it to uh, to bottles. So we've um, moved our whole fooder saison program to can condition beer. Um, you take a massive hit on on the on the margin, but you sell it a lot faster. Um, so you make it again, um, and you can just roll with it. So I honestly think that we could probably package off 100 cases and 20 barrels worth of of um, kegs from a, a fooder of saison and sell that in a, a relatively quick time. Um, and that's when the beer goes, and then we do it again. You fill that again, you do it again. And that's when the beer goes from being a vanity project to like a moneymaker for you. And so that's, um, that's the move we made. And I know I noticed like our neighbors threes, they, they made the exact same move at the exact same time. <laughs> and, yeah. and like, I mean, we think the world of each other and, uh, and, um, seeing somebody else do that at the same time, some of their respect, it's confirmation. yeah, man. that, that, that confirmation, um, that, it was a good move because somebody else made that business business move as well. Um, and we, we noticed, you know, we've seen like Allagash doing some mix for himself in cans. Yeah. We've seen like um, La Petite Prince is now available in saw cans. That. Saw that. Um, we know that we're doing the right thing. And you know what? Like Fair State and uh, Minnesota has been doing this for a long time. Sure, like that's the sure. first can condition mix from beer I ever had. And his beers were phenomenal. And that was probably five years ago for some added. You know, um, even New Belgium's Dominga sour, they're, they're, it's not a sour, it's like they're fruited dark yeah, yeah, beer. Yeah, totally. That's all, that's all from the fruit or forest stock that yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. you know, blending down and blending back and, totally. you know, but I mean, all the acidic component of that is all, you know, traditional sour beer. Like, totally. It's a great way to get, you know, from that program into, you know, into the, the, the broader world of beer that uh you know connects with folks in that kind of way rather than trying to treat it as this special rarefied exactly special occasion beer yeah look my personal belief is that saison should be should be should be only only consumed from a uh a 750 <laughs> but that's a that's like a like road to nowhere right <laughs> um, right, right so uh would never do that. We, I would like to do a small run of 750s off of every batch just for the collector. But I don't, generally speaking, the reason I want to do these saisons in Kansas is because I don't want people sitting on them. I'm not trying to make artifacts. I tell my staff all the time, we're a brewery, not a museum. Um, we got we to gotta move this stuff. And um, because like there's a tendency which we fall into as, as beer makers that like, oh, this is a, this took a long time to make. It's, it, it's got long-term package stability we should save some like you know what it doesn't really benefit from from sitting in the cellar for another year so like move it do it again let's go um so yeah that's that was the move for the cans barrel age sour beer fruited sour beer will 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 continue to be in bottles because i'm fine i'm fine with that having some shelf life some shelf life to it but like saison is is not 
stick your pinky out beer. It, um, <laughs> sure, I try sure. to make it. I try to make it be, but I I don't want it to be consumed as such. I right. want it to be. I want it to be. Uh, I want it to be treated as everyday beer. And when you when you're selling, when you're selling a four pack, for only a little bit more than you would sell a seven uh, a a five hundred milliliter bottle for. Honestly, you know you're going from like twelve or thirteen dollars to like to like eighteen to twenty dollars for a four pack. You but you're selling four experiences, and you're telling the you're telling consumer this is not this is not something that you're gonna put in put in the cover in the closet or wherever you store your beer at home. Um, maybe you have a beer fridge if, if we're all lucky, but those beers in Belgium are not rarefied experiences. They're just beers. They're just you know? beers. Like, exactly. like even goose is the same way. Like exactly. it's just beer. Yeah. Like people just drink it. Like it's just beer. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So a- anyway, I, th- I think you're right there. You know, when you, you talk about like blending specific cultures to achieve a certain thing and getting very complex with a lot of that in your mix, you know what, uh, from a sensory perspective, what are you trying to achieve with that culture? I mean, when I taste these, I, I mean, I get that really nice, like bright, almost tangerine, yeah. tangelo, you know, it's not quite the heft of an orange and it's not quite the like, you know, like high key, high pitch, you know, lemon. It's somewhere, you know, in that stretch, but, but it also has that almost juicy characteristic to it too. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, my, my approach to buying red wine is, is always that that's the way my wife and I like to drink red wine is juicy yet dry. It's how I try to make, honestly, I try to make any fruit forward beer that way, like, or, you know, fruit ester forward beer, like, even even New England IPA, I want it to be juicy yet dry. I don't I don't want I've let the I've let the finishing gravities creep up on it. I've I'm or I should say I've built in <laughs> higher finishing gravities because I know what the consumer wants. But um, um, and you know if you're gonna make that beer, you might as well you might as well make what the consumer wants. Um, but with the saison, yeah, like these these beers finish at like at a degree Plato, less than a degree Plato. Um, and um, and yet there's there is like the way the acidity hits the palate. It, it reads as a little bit sweeter, and I like that about it. That's something that I, I really want in there. And as I was saying before, like that minerality, um, the um, but like the fruit, the fruit, it's very fruit forward. And I think that um, we have people come in all the time, and they'll say, um, um, you know, I'm not really that into beer. I don't know what I like. I don't understand beer that well because they're used to like, uh, they're used to very uh, common um, right macro beer um and so we'll put one of these beers in front of them and 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 it will completely open their minds up they'll see something new that they have never experienced before and and like this is beer yes this is beer this is what most beer tasted like you know pre-louis pasteur and pre-industrial revolution like um so much beer would taste like this um and so i mean that's kind of maybe the, not quite as good as probably this. not quite probably not yes <laughs> Yeah, it, um, yeah, we don't. We're, Didn't quite we're have very some we're, of the yes, equipment that, that we is have true. That's we're very yes, we are very careful about acetic acid here. Um, but uh, yeah, it uh, malts maybe not quite as smoky yeah, as they were yeah, at that yeah, time yeah, too. Yeah. Sure, we haven't made our sm- our smoked uh, uh, tart saison yet, but we'll, we'll get there <laughs> one day. Says, um, we'll just be called. It'll just be called. Um, beer right it's called middle-aged beer but for a wine drinker you're right you can yeah. you can address this and think about the flavors involved without having to think about the baggage of beer and it becomes mm-hmm. a beautiful these are really nice light bright effervescent fun i mean they're very they're fluffy juicy and, yeah. and all of these nice fun things i mean they're, they're, there's a real kind of um you know clarity and direction and tension in them 
Thank you. They're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's zoom out here as we get on. Uh, sure. You know, what's the big picture look like for Wild East? Obviously, you started in a pandemic. You've pivoted and pivoted and pivoted. You know, you start. You're you're now doing stuff that you hadn't necessarily intended to do on the same that same kind of scale. You know, in terms of styles, but you also found a groove and have clearly been you know developing a deep respect amongst uh, you know fellow brewers here in New York City. You know, what's next? What do you hope to achieve? And uh, you know, what does success look like? What do you know? When will you know you get there? I mean, it's always a moving target, right? Once you're there, you're you're it's, you're looking onto the next thing. Uh, I mean, that's just yeah. um, one foot in front of the no, other. Exactly. There's no there'll, there'll be. I mean, honestly, like I am I am um, deeply ill content with where we are right now. Deeply ill content. Okay. Deeply. Deeply. It's we are not we are not anywhere where I thought we would be. Uh, you know, just past sure sure um or i should say what malcontent yes deeply i wasn't an english major or anything so sorry university <laughs> of pittsburgh um uh no we Just, um there's a deep discontent here there is yes we're we're ill mal discontent. You're not looking at reaching the mountaintop. You're just yeah. trying to get above the surface of the water at this <laughs> point. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, we. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, for us, basically, um, there's been so much that we can't control, and the one thing we can control is quality. So that's going to always lead the way here. What the future of Wild East looks like is, I want to, I want to bring. Um, traditionally made beer to a wider audience um and uh keep keep fighting the fight for um you know modern interpretations of traditional styles um get it out there more i mean we, are, we have this nascent uh cast program um we haven't even touched on our little our little english program we have going on here but um we uh we do we do one turn of english english style beer a month um and it's uh a portion of it goes to cask, a portion of it goes nitro, and a portion of it goes to cans and, and draft. Um, so just like kind of pushing all those things out um, and and getting um, getting a getting a rhythm. I mean, we're a startup brewery. I just want to I just want to feel like I'm not flailing all the time. And so that's I mean, I think the 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 future is 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 us um, kind of pushing out the beer more. Um, with a with more of a schedule, <laughs> um, which we have now, uh, and um, and just like taking um, nerding out more on this stuff, and just getting getting deeper in, down the rabbit hole on on how these traditional styles are made, how what we want to incorporate, because um, we do have better technology um, than when when they were invented, um, and and yet um, make decisions on what stays what goes and of course you know we have to, we're gonna have to be nimble too because like yeah we weren't expecting the we, are, we weren't looking at um we built a, a um flagship uh, pilsner around around check ingredients and then you know uh climate change was not friendly to europe uh no, this no. this year and so um i don't know what that means so we you know you have to be nimble we have to you know we have to keep that land beer program robust because who knows 15, 20 years from now, that may be the only option. Um, so, uh, right. 
you know, we just we don't we don't know what the future holds. So, um, you know, it's a matter of just like the Gowanus Canal will rise with sea change. Right. Well, and, we uh, are we are outside of the 100 year floodplain. Okay. Uh, having been a cartographer who has mapped his share of <laughs> yeah. hurricanes and flooding, I I know exactly how to find that information, and sure. I know exactly where the line is <laughs> um, for, for the 100 year floodplain. Um, geez. The future. Where is the Wileys? The future Wileys is getting. Um, yeah, making making um, decocted lager and uh, and um, and uh, mixed fermentation farmhouse beer mainstream. That's what we're trying to do. Well, keep fighting that good fight. For nearly thirty years, G and D has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. NA is no problem with the Alchemator from Pro Brew. Old Orchards Craft Concentrate blends mimic straight concentrates, but at a better price point. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices and order quantities catered to craft. ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery outfitter for brewers across the country. And mention the CBB podcast when you contact Twin Monkeys for a special discount on a new canning line. As always, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, let us know this content matters to you. And of course, if you're a professional brewer, you know, get that industry all access subscription and uh, dive back into the archives and read this case study on Wild East back from 2020. Um, Brett, if people want to learn more about Wild East, where do they find more about you all? We're on the Instagrams at, uh, at Wild East Brewing. Um, we are our website, uh, wildeastbrewing.com. Um, we are uh, I, um, also our Twitter is Wild East Brewing. The tap room and brewery are right here. Tap room brewery right here, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, um, we're four breweries within four blocks, so we're a great little we're a great little hang. Everything from uh, from our eclectic array of being a rotator bar that's all made in house to uh, to um, you know Finback's um, Finback's uh, sort of very like hype type beer approach. They're very good brewery though. Sure, good, good pals. And um and uh and um strong rope, hundred percent. Uh, New York ingredients, um, very, uh, very sort of English focused, but they've they've gotten into a lager program and they're doing a little bit of everything now. It's awesome. Um, Threes is is uh, one of the best breweries you're ever gonna come across. And then there's other half guys right nearby. That's all all walking distance. So um, crazy, crazy. Yeah, nice little beer center right here yeah. in uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Well, Brett, thanks for joining for the podcast. It's been awesome talking to you about brewing. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, cheers. cheers yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.